Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast dedicated to all things Washington Nationals and baseball from a fan's perspective. I'm your host, Richard, and for this episode, I'm talking with Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. So let's go in the clubhouse. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Bob. So um, let's just jump right into the interview and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became passionate about baseball. Well, my love for baseball goes back to a kid growing up in tiny Crawfordville, Georgia. Crawfordville, Georgia is east of Atlanta, west of Augusta, all of about 500 people. But my father was a baseball fan. I'm the youngest of six boys. They were all baseball fans. And so I grew to be a baseball fan, just being in their presence and seeing their love of the games. Taught myself how to read a box score out of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Man, I guess I must have been five, six years old at that time. And, and I've always had a passion for the game. My town was too small to field a high school baseball team. But like most kids, we played Sandlot, everything. Whatever was in season, that's what we played. And baseball was no exception, but didn't get a chance to pursue it at the high school level because my town was just simply too small to field a baseball team. And so I played high school basketball, which is ultimately what led me to Kansas City, to the Kansas City area, I should say, to Park College, where I had a basketball scholarship of all things. I uh, played a couple of years of small college basketball there, NAIA level basketball, but baseball has always been a part of me and it, it's almost fateful, I would say, to make my living now in baseball. After chasing a basketball from Crawfordville, Georgia to Parkville, Missouri, I now make my living in baseball, albeit baseball history. And uh, But it's, it's been exciting. And like I said, baseball has been in my blood since I can remember. That's really cool. I love hearing people's stories about how they became passionate about baseball or like, you know, their history to it. So I just, that's, that's a really cool story. So let's just let, um, so tell us, um, how does the, how did the Negro League Baseball Museum start? And like, when people visit there, um, you know, obviously after, you know, pre-COVID or whatever, um, what do you want baseball fans to walk away with after visiting the museum? The Negro League Baseball Museum is now celebrating its 30th anniversary. So we started this project, Richard, in 1990 in a little tiny one-room office across the street from my office inside the historic Lincoln Building, where a group of dedicated individuals led by the late great John Buck O'Neill and other former Negro Leaguers who were here in the area at that time literally took turns paying the monthly rent to keep that little office open. That's how we got started. We are as grassroots an organization as you will ever encounter. Quite frankly, no one gave the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum any chance of succeeding because not only were we starting in such a grassroots fashion, we were building this museum in an area that had truthfully been left abandoned. It, it had died 
and, and it was very similar to a lot of urban areas in this country um, where people had basically turned their back on it. And here we come 30 years later, you know, 30 years ago saying, we're gonna build a museum here. And even our most ardent supporters were questioning that decision. And I can understand why, because the question was, who's going to come see you? You know, there is no built-in foot traffic. And thanks to the, the tremendous foresight and wisdom of the late great Buck O'Neill who said, this is where we will build this museum. And when we build it here, we will reinvigorate. We will resurrect what was once a very proud, prominent African-American community. And that's exactly what we've done. It's 30 years later, and man, we haven't looked back since. And today we're recognized as America's National Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, something that we are tremendously proud of and we've seen the changes occur here in this area. People are living and working and playing again at 18th and Vine. And I don't think that would have happened had we not made the cognizant decision to anchor here 30 years ago. And when visitors come here, number one, they always wonder why is the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City? Well, Kansas City is the birthplace of the Negro League. The leagues were formed here 100 years ago this year, right around the corner from where the museum currently operates, the Paseo YMCA, which is where Andrew Roop Foster led a contingent of eight independent black baseball team owners into a meeting held there at the Paseo YMCA. And out of that meeting came the birth of the Negro National League, the first successful organized black baseball league. And of course, as you know, we've been, we've embarked on what has been a year long 100th anniversary celebration, albeit the fact that it was interrupted greatly by the pandemic. We've still had great success in helping keep the celebration going and elevating the consciousness of what the history of the Negro Leagues represented both on and off the field. So when people come here, you get a glimpse of America at her worst, but also America at her triumphant best. I tell people all the time, the story of the Negro Leagues could have only happened in America. So yes, it is anchored in the ugliness of American segregation, a horrible chapter in this country's history. But out of segregation rose this wonderful story of triumph and conquest. And Richard is based on one small, simple principle. You won't let me play with you, then I'll just create a league of my own. And so when our guests come, they get to see the resolve. You know, how this league born out of segregation would produce, number one, some of the greatest athletes, Black and Hispanic, to ever play this game. So you, we, they build a league of their own. That league is tremendously successful. But then you also see how this league rose from the ashes of American segregation to be the spark that would start the civil rights movement in this country. So the story is so much bigger than the game of baseball, but it's still just a tiny part of the great story of the game of baseball. And when our guests leave this museum, you truly leave cheering the power of the human spirit to persevere. And so from that standpoint, it is a celebration. 
And that's what we do. We treat it as a celebration. I do think some of our visitors come expecting to be introduced to a sad, somber kind of story. Because again, you know that this story is propped against the backdrop of American segregation. Now, we, we don't look at it that way. You know, the circumstances that created a need for Negro Leagues are sorrowful. Yeah, segregation was a horrible chapter in this country's history, a very shameful chapter in this country's history. But again, out of segregation came this wonderful story of triumph and, and over, over that adversity. And that's what we celebrate here. And I think our visitors feel that when they leave. You're gonna learn, you're gonna learn about the history of the Negro Leagues, how it arose from those ashes of segregation, but you're also going to learn the history of this country. And, they, and the two things kind of parallel one another. And, and so it is literally an all-encompassing history lesson for those who come to visit us. Wow, that's a really, that's a great answer. That's, a, that's definitely on point, awesome. Um, so kind of like segue, that's a nice segue to my next question is like, what role did the Negro League uh, play in American society um, during the time? Um, and then also, you know, what impact did it have on Major League Baseball at the time? And then also kind of like bringing it to, you know, 2020, what kind of impact do you think it has on society and also Major League Baseball? Well, keep in mind that Negro League Baseball was the third largest Black-owned business in this country. It only trailed Black-owned insurance companies who emerged during that era of segregation and would insure Black folks, you know, more than the 10 or 15 cents that the white insurance companies would insure us. Essentially, the white insurance companies would insure me just enough to bury me. Well, Black-owned insurance companies came about and not only insured my livelihood, but insured my stock, my crop, my home, and as a result, made millions of dollars. Next was Madam C.J. Walker. Madam C.J. Walker would become this country's first self-made businesswoman millionaire of any skin color. And next was Negro Leagues Baseball. As the late great Buck O'Neill would say, all you needed was a bus, two sets of uniforms, and you'd have 20 of the greatest athletes who ever lived. They could play. And really their contemporaries knew that they could play. It was just simply the social conditions of our time and fear that kept them out of the major leagues. And Richard, I always preference the word fear because honestly, I don't think that the superstar major leaguer was concerned about integration. Ted Williams wasn't concerned about integration because Ted Williams could play. But the average major leaguer was very much concerned about integration because if you allow this influx of great black and Hispanic talent in, I might lose my job. And so that had as much to do with keeping them out as anything else. And, and, and so, but again, they create their own. They create their own league and this league becomes a great league. As a matter of fact, there are some who will say that this league that was shunned from the major leagues was every bit as good. Some may say even better than the league that wouldn't let them play. And there's something very triumphant about that story. And along that journey, they, these leagues created tremendous impact on Black economy. So at the crux of this story, this story is about the importance of economic empowerment. This is a tremendous story about an unprecedented level of leadership that emerged in the Black community as a result of the formation of these leagues. 
And then ultimately, it is about the social advancement of this country as Jackie Robinson is handpicked from the great Kansas City monarchs to break baseball's nearly six-decade-long self-imposed color barrier. And the Negro League Baseball Museum makes the bold assertion that Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement, it was actually the beginning of the civil rights movement. Keep in mind, this is 1947. That is years before those more noted civil rights occurrences. That is before Brown versus the Board of Education. That is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as the late great Buck O'Neill would so eloquently say, was only a sophomore at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, where when Robinson signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization, President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. So for all intensive purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country. And our country literally jumped on the coattail of baseball. And while baseball had certainly been vilified for not allowing Blacks to play in the major leagues, when it opened its door, our country followed suit. Richard, I think it speaks to the love that people had with baseball. It was America's national pastime. And in many respects, it still is America's national pastime. And, and so it, it drove the country to follow what it was doing. And, and so it changed things so dramatically with Robinson's breaking of the color barrier. And as we fast forward today, I think the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is more important right now than at any time in the 30 years that we've operated. We've seen a level of hate resurface in, in our country in such a vile and visible manner. And it's alarming to a lot of young people in particular. And, and so here's this incredible story of overcoming adversity. And that story and the life lessons that stem from the story of the Negro Leagues, I think become a valuable tool now to help us bridge the racial gap, you know, the racial divide that is seemingly getting wider in our country. And after the terrible George Floyd incident occurred, a lot of people started to turn to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum for thought leadership. Mm. And Richard, they turned to the museum because they understood and embraced the fact that this museum is a civil rights museum. It is a social justice museum. Man, it's just seen through the lens of baseball. But again, more importantly, it is triumph over that adversity. And, and you need to see that side of my experience in this country as well. You've seen the downtrodden side. You've seen me shackle from slavery. And you've seen my struggles trying to gain civil rights in this country and the water hoses being sprayed on me and the police dogs being released on me. And sadly, the police brutality that still manifests itself to this very date. But my success stories have never really been fully documented. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't see that. And, and I can tell you now, there is no commonality in my struggles. 
very few have had to endure what black folks have had to endure to try and gain equality in this country. But my success stories, you can absolutely relate to. And the story of the Negro League is one of those great American success stories. And, and so we see it as a tool to continue to promote the need for diversity, inclusion, equity, tolerance, respect. All of that is wrapped up inside of this story of these very courageous athletes who just wanted to play ball. Now they had no idea they were doing all this other stuff that I don't lock them into. <laughs> they just wanted to play ball. But the pride, the passion, the perseverance, the determination that they demonstrated in the face of adversity is the precursor for all these things that we now attach their story to. The life lessons that stem from the Negro Leagues. And, and so I think it just magnifies how important this museum is. I mean, that's very, you, I think you're very eloquent in, in, the, in your response to that question. Wow. I'm like taken aback. And just on a side note, like, you know, getting ready for this interview and, you know, obviously the next question kind of, you know, um, you know, you know, what you'll kind of come to see is like, doing my research about like, you know, the Homestead Grays here in Washington, DC, and just like the, you know, this whole entire, um, you know, league that I kind of knew existed, but didn't know in depth. So, you know, it's a really great story. And I think that's a really great perspective of saying, you know, thinking of it as more of a triumph, at, you know, opposed to anything else. Yeah. So, so kind of like moving it, moving the story a little bit forward. Um, you know, obviously recently MLB included uh, the Negro League baseball records into their books. I, I just wanted to kind of get a quick answer to this, and then I want to follow up with you on this. Um, so I want to know, like, how do you feel about it, um, like, personally? I was excited. I was excited and very proud of the announcement that baseball made. And, and Richard, for me, it's not as much about the recognition or, or subsequent integration of Negro League stats into those of major leagues, but it was the atonement and mm. the acknowledgement and the recognition of what this league represented both on and off the field by baseball that got me excited, that really makes me proud. Now, we'll see how the stats are eventually integrated and mm -hmm. whether or not that has any impact whatsoever, but I can tell you this, you can never reduce the story of the Negro Leagues to just stats. You know, that will never complete or tell the complete picture of what the Negro Leagues were all about. But to have that historical acknowledgement is very significant. And I was telling a, a member of the media here recently that when we started this museum 30 years ago, our goal was to rewrite the pages of American history books, mm. to include this chapter in the pages of American history books. Well, Major League Baseball did in one day what we've been trying to do for 30 years. With <laughs> one, one strike of the pen, man. They started to rewrite history. And, and, and they corrected something in the annals of, of the, their own history that was egregious. You know, when that commission in 1969 made that decision to basically, and it, it, it wasn't an error. Mm -hmm. This was blatant dismissal 
you know, and when they did that, it was wrong. And here, years later, thanks to Commissioner Manfred, they come back, not only acknowledge what had taken place, but corrected it. And, and, and that is significant. It means a great deal to those surviving clears, and it means a great deal to the families of clears who are no longer with us. And so I tip my cap to all involved who helped make that historical decision. So perfect segue to my next question here. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, in the in MLB's uh, press release, they referred to it, quote, as a, a correcting an oversight. Um, <laughs> you know, as we kind of like talked about, it wasn't, an, an, you know, the Negro uh, weren't a staff. Yeah, it wasn't exactly an oversight. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and exactly. And, you know, the Negro Leagues were, you know, a result of something that was done on purpose. Um, Howard Bryant, a senior writer for ESPN, um, was very critical of uh, MLB's de decision. Recently in an article, he said, quote, instead of accepting its history as a reminder of its past and its human cost to remain as an institutional conscious, baseball took the easy way out. It decided to make itself feel better by rewriting the history books. So my question to you is, um, do you agree with uh, the writer? And also, do you think that, it, you know, the decision by MLB is a degree of whitewashing? Howard is a good friend of mine. And, and he called me the day that this was announced to let me know that he had a counter opinion. opinion. And, and I respect that because I understand his fear that this history could potentially get whitewashed. I absolutely understand that. But I also think that is why the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum becomes even more inherently important because the fear is that 20, 30 years from now, when new fans are introduced to the history of this game, they're going to see these players likely integrated right, right in the list with other major leagues uh, of what was formerly white major leagues. And I don't want them to think that it had been this way all the time either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important that they understand that once upon a time, this league was segregated by color and that these players were shunned from the major league. So they created their own. And, and that becomes very important. So I can understand the fear. You know, I don't think that it was ever major league baseball's intention to whitewash history. I do think it was their effort to make atonement to make acknowledgement and to recognize. And, and, I, and I take Major League Baseball completely at face value with what they're doing. And I only hope that it enhances the working relationship that we already have. Because now that you basically embraced Negro Leagues in this official capacity, it becomes, I think, even more important and paramount that you now support the organization that is there to make sure that this history plays on long after there are no more Negro Leaguers to attest to what this league was all about. And, and so, yeah, but I, I absolutely understand Howard's point. We differ on, on a couple of issues, but that's respectful difference uh, because he, like I said, he's a dear friend of mine and a dear friend of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And I think he is trying to protect the long-term viability of this organization, which I have to absolutely appreciate, mm -hmm. and the, the viability of this history. 
you know, this incredible history that we talked about earlier that rose from the ashes of segregation. You know, it was no fault of these players that they couldn't play in the major league. So they had to create their own league. And that's exactly what they did. And, and we should never lose sight of that. Have you been in talks with like people high up in major league baseball to kind of, uh, you know, bridge that gap even more moving forward? And what are some of the steps that you are, you know, what are you, what are some of the steps that you guys already agreed to, or, you know, possibly agreeing to? Well, you know, we haven't had a lot of dialogue about the decision that was announced here. I was always very much clued in and I knew, you know, I knew several weeks, you know, before the announcement was coming that it was coming. You know, they gave gave me the courtesy of making sure that I was aware of this. And, you know, Major League Baseball and the Players Association have been longstanding partners of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And we've had a relationship that it continues to grow. And, and I think it's something that we are very proud of because baseball looks at us a little bit differently than maybe 20 years ago when there was support, but it was, you know, support for another one of their great charities. You know, they do so much work supporting so many nonprofit organizations. Now it is more of a partnership. You know, understanding that as they continue to try and build diversity and inclusion and equity in their sport, that it is important to be in alignment with an institution like ours that's there to talk about the heritage of our game, to preserve that heritage and demonstrate how diversity and equity and inclusion stems from this story. Mm -hmm. And that as Black folks, we have such a proud legacy in this game. And so as you are trying to attract more Black fans and hopefully influence and introduce this game to more Black kids and hopefully future Black major leaguers, they should understand their legacy and their place in this game. And that's what the Negro League Baseball Museum does. And I do believe that Major League Baseball and the Players Association have absolutely embraced that role. So maybe in the eyes of, of theirs now, we move beyond just being one of the many great charities that they support into more of a partnership role, where obviously their support is tremendous in helping us sustain and, and grow this institution but there are things that we can accomplish together to continue to influence who plays this game and who goes through their turnstiles mm -hmm. to support this game. And, and that's important to us as well. So I, I also just want to point out, you know, there has been, you know, positive reaction to the, you know, to yes. the announcement. In New York Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. Overwhelming, yes, of course. Um, in a recent New York Times article, the official historian of Major League Baseball, John Thorne, is quoted as saying, quote, we're not we're trying not to honor individual players, but the league experience and the black experience in baseball in America, end quote. So I think that, you know, I think that you talked you talked a lot about this. And, you know, I just want to make sure that, like, it's on the record on the, you know, that. Oh, yeah. yeah, but you're right. By and large, the, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. 
Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, but again, there are always going to be some pundits. Yeah. Out there, you know, and, and I think anything, because Major League Baseball is such a big institution. And so anytime they do something, you're going to always have a critique and you're going to always have those who wonder if there is some ulterior motive for why they're doing what they're doing. And, and I think they understand that. I'm sure the commissioner understands that as well. But man, I just commend the commissioner for being willing to do what others fail to do. Um, yeah, you have to do this. You have to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, this was kind of buried in the annals of baseball history. So you had to be a hardcore baseball historian researcher to even know that this commission even existed and had failed to properly recognize the Negro Leagues. Because I certainly did not know. <laughs> I did not know this until earlier this summer when someone started to write about it and then it started to kind of reverberate and people were questioning, well, is baseball going to do anything? And and baseball ultimately did. And man, what a great way to cap off the 100th anniversary celebration of the Negro League. I agree. And, And gives us great momentum moving into 2021, you know, as we start to roll out plans for our Negro Leagues 101 celebration. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to definitely uh, keep in touch and make sure that we uh, get some information about Negro Leagues 101. I want to bring it a little bit locally here. Um, okay. I'm sitting right outside Washington, D.C., obviously. Um, now we're a big baseball t- town. Some people <laughs> will, will say that we always were. Um, so I want to maybe talk about like the Negro League in terms of like Washington, D.C., um, how do you think it impacted the city at, at, at the time of, you know, the, the Homestead Grays? Um, yeah. And then also, you know, how do you think it kind of, how do you see it now in the Washington Nationals and like the Washington City, you know, Washington, D.C. city as like a big, I want to say that we've always been a baseball town. So like what are, what, what are, well, what, and, and really you have, you know, D.C. has great history and it has great black baseball history, mm-hmm. you know, team like the Washington Black Senators didn't last very long, but then the great Homestead Grays move into D.C. You know, they were one of those rare teams that had two homes Mm -hmm. that started their illustrious baseball history in the Pittsburgh area, and then in the 40s, early 40s, moved to D.C., where they called Griffith Stadium home, and they were outdrawing the Washington Senators. Mm-hmm. And so as the Nats won the World Series a couple of years ago, it was great to see people relate the fact that there had been several World Series won in D.C. Mm-hmm. They were just won by the Homestead Grays, <laughs> you know, which, as I tell my friends over the Washington Nationals, with no disrespect to the Nats, the Homestead Grays are still the greatest baseball franchise the city of Washington, D.C. has ever seen. Yeah, this team was dynamite. And, and as I mentioned, they were outdrawing the grades. I mean, outdrawing the senators. And Black folks were filling up the ballpark to watch. And why wouldn't you? You mm-hmm. got a lineup that featured two future Hall of Famers in Buck Leonard and Josh Gibson, two of the greatest to ever do it, and, and a group of complementary players who absolutely, some of them deserve consideration for the Hall of Fame. So you you were witnessing some of the greatest baseball ever. Clark Griffith, who owned the Washington Senators, had tinkered with the notion 
of trying to sign Buck Leonard and Josh Gibson well before Branch Rickey made the move mm. to sign Jackie Robinson because he's watching Leonard play a dazzling first base in his ballpark. And he's watching Leonard hit line drives all over his ballpark. And he's watching Josh Gibson hit balls where no mere mortal had ever hit them. And so he knew that if he could bring them into the fold, his Washington Senators, man, jumped instantly into the forefront for pennant contention and likely would have a legitimate shot to win the World Series. But the timing was not right. Mm. Yeah, you know, what, what allowed Ricky to do what he did, it was the fact that we were coming out of World War II. And there was such strong sentiment because you had all these black soldiers, young black soldiers, dying, fighting the same racism in another country that we're being asked to accept here at home. And there was this growing sentiment that if they can die fighting for their country, they ought to be able to play baseball in this country. And, and really, that's what propelled Ricky to be in a position to go make the move to try to bring Jackie Robinson in, sign him away from the Kansas City Monarchs where Jackie had played here in 1945. But Griffith had tinkered with the notion and Griffith had also deal with the realization that if I put the Negro Leagues out of business, I'm going to cut off a supply of, of resources for me. Because as I mentioned, the Homestead Grays are filling up his ballpark. <laughs> Guess what? Griffith is getting a percentage of the gate and likely all of the concessions. And he wasn't having to work very hard to get that money. And so I'm not sure he was willing to give up, you know, the, the economic yield that he that was being generated. So, yeah, on one side, he would have liked to have done it. On the other side, he just said, I'm going to stay with the money. Yeah. As I tell people all the time, anytime they say it ain't about the money, it's always about the money. <laughs> Actually, so I, re I recently wrote a quick, I wrote an article on my site, um, kind of talking a little bit about the Homestead Grays. And one of the interesting stories that I found uh, that, I that I was reading about is how uh, Josh Gibson uh, hit this 430 foot home run at, in Yankee Stadium, and it, it went so far, people thought that it actually went out of um, oh, the park. There, there are a lot of accounts that say the ball went out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people refuse to believe that Gibson hit the ball out of Yankee Stadium. But you have to keep in mind that Mantle hit one that hit the light stanchion. And if it doesn't hit the light stanchion, it goes out. Now, people will believe that. But when you tell them Gibson hit one all the way out, they don't want to believe it. <laughs> now, if Mantle could do that, why couldn't Josh do it? Have you seen the picture of Josh Gibson? I tell people all the time, if you want an indication of Josh Gibson physique-wise, think Bo Jackson as a catcher. That's Josh Gibson. This man was tremendously powerful. But that's always the skepticism that comes with the Negro League. Well, you know, Mantle hit one, and it hit the light stanchion. That's the only thing that kept it from going out. But we don't believe Josh hit one completely out. You know, and I tell people as incredible a feat as that was, I still don't think it was his greatest feat. To me, his greatest feat was hitting a ball in the right field upper deck of Yankee Stadium 
He's food on a changeup and reaches out Richard with one hand and hit the ball in the upper deck of right field in Yankee Stadium. And everybody says as he's circling the bases, Josh is just giggling like a little kid because he was such a jolly giant of a man. He was a guy that was so strong that he could poke you on your arm and it hurt, but he didn't realize how strong he really was. And, and so, you know, he's just giggling, circling around the bases. Now, this guy was the real deal, man. And, you know, I know that there seemingly is so much lore and legend that it makes these athletes sound almost mythical-like. Well, that's great. I love it. I don't ever want to lose the lore and legend that surround these players, but it doesn't diminish the fact that some of these feats were absolutely done. You know, and it doesn't diminish that Cool Papa Bell was every bit as fast as they say he was, you know, and Satchel threw as hard as they say with the control that everybody kind of, you know, are absolutely amazed by. Yeah, he threw hard, but he had great control. That's what made him almost unhittable. Okay, so we do. I, I'm starting this thing um, called lightning round. So this is where I ask one word answers, uh, ask what one word questions, and there are only three, so it's really easy. Ready? Favorite baseball movie? Hmm. Bingo Long, Traveling All Stars, and Motor King. Okay, I'm gonna have to Google that. <laughs> yeah, the film stars. It's the all-star black cast, 1970s Motown film. First film that kind of gave an indication that a Negro Leagues existed. And it stars James Earl Jones, Billy D. Williams, and the late great comedic genius, Richard Pryor. So you can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah, but it was a Barry Gordy film produced by Motown in the early 1970s. It is hilarious. Okay, well, I'll have to I'll have to cuddle up this weekend and watch that. I'm always I'm always looking for good movies to watch. Um, favorite baseball team? Atlanta Braves. I'm a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan who became a Kansas City Royals fan after I started living here in the Kansas City area. But you know, I'm a lifelong Braves fan as a kid growing up in Georgia, going to ball games at Old Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta at that time, well before Turner Field, and now, of course, the brand new ballpark that they've built there. So yeah, that was my team as a kid growing up, and you know, that stays with you. And, and now I'm a Royals fan, and fortunately they're in two different leagues, so I can be both of those until that rare interleague occurs that happens when they play each other. <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm operating a business here in Kansas City, so when the Braves come to play the Royals, I got to be a Royal fan, man. <laughs> okay, here we go. Favorite baseball stadium? Ooh, I'm biased. Let me admit that. Okay. I am biased. Kauffman Stadium. Now, my favorite is probably PNC Park. PNC is an absolute magnificent place to watch a baseball game. Kauffman Stadium, for as old as it is, it's still an amazing place to watch a game. And then after we did some renovations to it to improve the infrastructure, which allowed us to get the 2012 All-Star Game, it, it changed dramatically. And it's just one of the, you know, it's one of the older ballparks because everybody's built new ballparks. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think Coffin Stadium ranks right there. Obviously, you got Wrigley Field and, and Fenway Park. You've got Dodger Stadium and the ballpark there in Anaheim. And then the Royals, Coffin Stadium is right there as the oldest ballparks, you know, still operating in Major League Baseball. But PNC and then Coffin Stadium would be the two that I like the most. Okay. Uh, would you rather watch a game at Wrigley or Fenway? Don't get me in trouble, man. I got friends in both places. <laughs> I, I, I think I like Wrigley better. Okay. And last question. Uh, current uh, Favorite current baseball player to watch? Ooh, my favorite current baseball player. Wow. You know, Mookie Betts. Mookie, Mookie to me, is right out of the Negro League. You know, he can do everything. You know, he, he, he hit for average. He hits for power. Great arm. You know, great arm out there in the outfield. Can steal bases. You know, he's that rare combination that you just really don't see a lot in the major league. Mike Trout can do some of those same things. But Mookie, I think, is the guy that I enjoy watching the most right now. Well, Bob, thank you so much. I had such a pleasure. I could, we could probably go on for another hour, but I don't want to keep you from your family for this holiday season. So thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to talk and, you know, join me. Um, it was a truly honor. I'm going to next time, you know, when we're, everybody's allowed to travel, I'm going to come out uh, to uh, the museum because it just sounds like a very interesting and a very uh, place that I want to take my children to, uh, to see and also to, for myself. So you, you haven't heard the last from me, but thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, Richard, it's absolutely my pleasure, man. I look forward to welcoming you here to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It is such a special place. And so thank you for the opportunity. I hope those who are listening to uh, the interview will consider supporting the work that we do here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And to learn more about us, please visit www nlbm.com or if you're so inclined follow me on twitter and or instagram and the username is at nlbm prez p-r-e-z we'll make sure to include those links in our show notes and and the article so don't worry people will have right. okay fantastic Great. thank you so thank much you, bye-bye absolutely happy holidays yeah happy holidays too